Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, it's Jay Scott from The Hook, your ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having a good day. Fall is in the air, and we have, from New York City, the band is Station, and the guest is the lead guitar player, Chris Lane. How are you doing today, Chris? Hey, man, I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you doing this. Um, thanks for coming on. I have been a big fan of, of your, your music now for, for a bit, and love... Love the tunes, love the music, and uh, excited to have you on. Cool, man. Thank you so much. So we begin every episode with a new guest the same way with the same question, and that is the essence of the show. What hooked you on rock and roll? Just like every great rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, an album, a performance, or a song that hooked them on rock and roll. What hooked you? So I would say the thing that got me into rock and roll the most is, you know, I grew up in a household that played classic rock all the time. And my parents were very influential, you know, playing the Beatles all the time and Pink Floyd, stuff like that. But um, it's when I first heard the guitar solo in Is This Love by Whitesnake that I decided to learn to play the guitar because I heard it and I was just kind of floored by how much expression there was in that one solo. And I was just like, I've got to do this. So that kind of started me on this uh, path of guitar and ultimately playing guitar and rock. That's John Sykes. John Sykes, indeed. Yeah, he's um, a very underrated guitar player and does not get the recognition that he deserves, even from the days of the Thin Lizzy albums and the Tigers of Mm -hmm. Tang too, as well. Um, Oh, absolutely. Just a great tone and a, a full a full tone too. Like he's really like when you hear him play, he really embodies the whole song. Yeah. It's a very, very round sound that feels very full, but still up kind of in your face. And, uh, I mean, the thing for me that just is, you know, I'm a sucker for is just the melodicism in his playing is second to none. I mean, it, it's so perfect and you really, you really get the sense of what he's trying to say through the instrument. And that's what I love. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you move on to his days in Blue Murder, you know, and you look back at that, those songs too as well and those albums, it's a disappointment and it's a shame that he doesn't do more music now. Yeah. So where did it go from there? After, you know, the John Sykes, you know, in, Is This Love solo and, and hearing that song, where did your musical taste and musical influences go from there? Well, my musical taste was was pretty established by that point because I started playing guitar pretty late. 
Um, I started playing guitar when I was like 16, 17. So, um, you know, I was very heavily into kind of classic rock, uh, a lot of Journey, a lot of Pink Floyd, Beatles. And so once I kind of, uh, you know, Zeppelin II for the most, like harder stuff, once I kind of heard the path that put me on the guitar, I just took the guitar back to those bands. And, um, you know, I kind of started realizing the genius of people like, you know, Neil Sean and Dave Gilmore and George Harrison. And, and that's really what kind of crafted my sense of musicality on the guitar. Was there a certain musician or guitar player that wanted, you know, made you want to play live? Um, I wouldn't say, I would say a player that made me want to play live. Uh, the more, the more and more that I kind of learned about guitar playing, and um, just how expressive it could be, that's when it really just kind of, like, you know, it bit me and I, it wouldn't let go. Because w- the way I learned to play was I'm self-taught and I basically took the guitar and started figuring out patterns over, like, Journey songs. So I would be like, oh, wow, this sounds especially good over this song. What key is that song in? This key. Okay, so that means this means that. And um, I taught myself. So the more and more comfortable I was in expressing myself within the songs that I loved, uh, you know, growing up, that's what really wanted me to then say, okay, I got to go out and play live, show people me playing. You know what I mean? I wanted to express myself to other You know, what about writing music? You know, I mean, everyone has their moment where, you know, they're influenced to play and then they're influenced to write music. You know, I mean, there's always that, that, that next step in the process when you start playing music. Well, was, there a, was there a moment for you about writing music? Um, I don't know if there was necessarily a moment that I can remember because I started writing music way before I played the guitar. Okay. Um, but one thing that I've always kind of held on to, and this is actually a principle that pretty much guides the band now, is um, songs are not necessarily consistent with the way they're performed. Um, you know, a good song is a good song, and it exists outside of the format that you're playing it in. I don't know if I believe there's such a thing as a good rock song. There's a good song. It might sound better as performed in rock and roll, though. But, it, you know, a good song could be translated into many different styles with many different nuances. So when I kind of, like I said, was bitten by the rock bug, a lot of my thinking, a lot of the way I wanted to write music and perform music started tunneling itself through there. And, um, you know, rock music just became the thing I was you know, pretty much all about. You know, I loved writing music and... As it would come out, you know, I'd experiment with writing rock riffs and writing things that I thought were catchy, and and that just kind of all grew itself into where I am now, where I consider myself to be a songwriter in the rock fashion. One of the things that I pick up from your music and from hearing you guys is it's big hooks, it's big melodic riffs. You know, I mean, it's it's fun music. You know, I mean, it, it's it's rock mm-hmm. and roll, and uh, for a long time there's been an absence in that genre where the fun element has been kind of missing with a lot of bands. And it's refreshing to hear that with you guys, because when I first heard you, I said, wow, this sounds great. Like, who is this? And got more into your catalog, got more into what you guys were about. And I was like, this is something that I believe has been missing from rock and roll. Oh, thank you. I mean, very much in the, a reflection of the kind of people we are because um, one of the reasons why our music comes out the way it does is because of the people who make it. So, you know, generally our take on things is pretty lighthearted. Um, we are not ones to try to go to a place that's 
especially dark for no reason uh, because we like to consider our music honest. So if there's a song that sounds darker, heavier, whatever, it's reflective of our mood. And because we're people that don't have one side of us that we're trying to reflect, our music tends to be all over the place. You know, it tends to range greatly in subject matter and especially in the instruments we use because we go from, you know, full on Marshall Stack style rock to acoustic. So, you know what I mean? Like it, we try to vary it up because I don't think any human is completely one-sided, you know? As far as the history of the band, I mean, it says in your bio here, you guys formed in 2011. Um, what was that mm-hmm. process? Take us through, you know, kind of the, kind of the station history. Yeah, so um, the band started uh, when Pat, the singer, and I, we found each other through a uh, classified ad. And he had just pretty much left his band, which was a, more of a metal band, uh, much heavier than Station is in general. And um, I had been working with a singer who, it just, he and I weren't kind of seeing the same vision. And one of the problems, especially at the time, was that it was very hard to find musicians in New York City who loved the genres that we love, you know, like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, rock and roll. And um, when we found each other, I always tell people it was like one of those scenes in a movie where like we're slow motion running towards each other because like it was unlike any other conversation I had had at the time. It was very much a, you like this band? I like this band. You know this deep cut? I know this deep cut. And it was very, very easy to see that we were kind of the same kind of kindred spirit of what we liked. So um, it, we hit it off really well, and uh, basically we set out to put together a band. And, um, you know, it took a little while, but from the beginning, he and I have kind of been the two people that have been trying to build station up like that. As far as playing live, you know, with the history of the band, um, you guys are from New York City. How has the scene helped you, you know, evolve into what you are today? Um, I mean, that's a tough question because to be honest with you, there is no scene here. Um, not for our style of music. They're very supportive people, but there's definitely not a community that is that kind of, you know, entrenched with itself that really supports itself. So, um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like, like New York City doesn't support music. It absolutely does. But, you know, when you try, when you say a scene, you kind of have this vision of like, Seattle in the 90s, you know, L.A. in the 80s, that kind of stuff, uh, the Bay Area. It wasn't really like that. So one of the things that we had to do was we had to learn how to be self-sufficient. And we knew that there wasn't a trail to follow because if there had been, it would have been a much easier process of saying, well, you know, play this club and then this club and then that equals this club. There was none of that. So it took a very kind of like structured and strategic approach for us to say, okay, how do we keep the band going knowing that there's no roadmap in front of us? And, you know, in some ways I think that's led to our, our ability to sustain ourselves, but in some ways it's also been the most frustrating part of the band experience because there, there's no path for us. Cause I interviewed Pete from Kodiak a few weeks ago. He mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing where, you know, there was kind of a pay-to-play type atmosphere in that area, you know, in the on the East Coast, and it was very difficult to get in front of a lot of people. And you kind of had to create your own scene, basically. You know, you, you had to you had to go out and do it yourself a lot more than maybe years past. Do you agree oh, with absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, one see, it's a blessing and a curse because you can look at it both sides. On one hand, 
Absolutely right. Um, I mean, it's not an East Coast thing necessarily to say it's paved to play. I mean, there are venues everywhere, some that do, some that don't. But the idea of walking in and having 200 people who are, you know, primed and ready to receive your brand of rock and roll, it just doesn't really happen that much or pretty much ever. Um, there are definitely still places that celebrate music like that, but it's definitely a much more of a, um, I don't say an effort, but there's much more planning involved in drawing crowds nowadays. That said, though, I can also just as easily reach someone in London as I can in Portland, Oregon. So on one hand, you say to yourself, well, yeah, you know, there's a limit in terms of the quote-unquote scene and how easy it is to play down the block, play in the city, no problem. But at the same time, I, because of technology, my ability to reach people around the world has become ways. So there's much more of a fan base for me as a musician who's, you know, local, let's just say, there are way more fans out there now. I can reach people in Asia. I can do all that stuff because of technology. So, you know, it's a blessing and a curse of the times of change because it just opens up different opportunities. Do you find it easier to reach people across the globe than, you know, than it is to try to build a platform or build a base locally in, in, in regards to what you're trying to do? No, um, it's not necessarily easier. It's just different. Um, one of the things that I'm very grateful for with station is that as we kind of forge our way into new areas, places we've never played before, we always return. And that is, you know, in my opinion, the best, most, best compliment and the biggest thing for the band, because it means that we were trying something out in a new city. And then we were able to say, look, it was well received. We can come back. Um, it becomes a different conversation though, when you try to reach an area that is, you're not going to tour to, you know, so we've never played in Europe. We have fans in Germany. We've never played for them unless they've come here. We've never played for them in Germany. So we have to approach how we make sure to, not to keep the fans, but how to engage with the fans more often. We have to change our approach to doing that. So it becomes, like I said earlier, a very strategic way of thinking because it's not just rinse and repeat every day where you're like, play show, meet people, go to the next city. You know, it's a lot more multifaceted now. Because in conversations I've had previous on other episodes of this podcast, you know, we've talked about, you know, the difference in rock and roll now than years past. And one of the things that I've always kind of harped on is how there isn't a, a, a structure, a infrastructure for rock and roll. Like there is in let's say country, right? right? Like country has, they, they celebrate new artists a lot more than rock and roll does. I mean, they have the CMT channel where they, fo- you know, they focus on new bands or artists every week. You know, every major town has a, or a big city has two or three country stations and they're always putting out new country music, whether by older artists or by new artists. And I, I've talked about that, you know, in, in previous episodes where rock and roll really needs to start promoting its newer acts like station, like other acts to provide a platform or, or provide an infrastructure for them to help them be successful. Yeah. I mean, that is true, but that is the good thing about what you just said is that's a business problem. Right. And 
business problems tend to work themselves out when there's enough demand for it, and station has seen demand. The thing that the thing that gives me hope in all of that, because what you said is like 100 percent true. It's like there's there's there are fewer and fewer outlets to be able to be seen by someone brand new, um, just because you're of the genre, right? The thing that gives me hope though, just go go out, just go to a club, go somewhere, meet some you know 18 year old person who maybe isn't as familiar with rock and roll as you are. Play a rock song, they will like it. And you know what I mean? Like just because they're not exposed to it doesn't mean it's not viable. Problem is, is the exposure. So like it gives me hope because I've seen firsthand how people can be unfamiliar with something. And then all of a sudden when they experience it for the first time, they're like, Oh, I actually like this. Cool. The taste hasn't changed. It's just the exposure and the availability. So that's what we have to work on changing as a, as a whole. I think the one thing that rock and roll has going for it, and I think it's different than most music genres is the it, rock and roll is an experience. And I think when is you it what? It's, it's an experience, right? Oh, experience. Gotcha. Yeah. And when you, when you look at the statistics and the data from the younger generation, they are more into an experience. Um, you know, when you talk about the festivals that are now all over the summer and, and early fall and late springs, you know, younger generations are, finding that more appealing because it's all about the experience. When you see vinyl sales now surpassing CDs, it's all about the experience, right? So I think that, mm-hmm. I think that is a good sign of, for things to come. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, it's, it's the experience of, of what the song means to you also. Correct. Because I think, especially from what we've seen, a huge disconnect between people who are fans of, let's just say, classic rock and the newer rock listeners, is that there is a nostalgia that makes a lot of those songs important. Because, like, if you boil it down, pick a song that, that is about something specific, right? Most chances, unless the person, for some reason, has some really specific identity to whatever the subject matter of that song is, they're not celebrating the song nowadays because of that meaning. They're celebrating the song because of what the song itself means to them. You know, it was a song from their childhood. It was a song that they listened to a lot during a tough time in life. It was a song, a wedding song, you know, who knows, but like there's some other element of their life that they need to associate with that song that brings it actual true meaning in that sense. The flip side of it is in today's world, we have so much, like there's so much volume out there. There's so much that it, it's not such that you turn on the radio and that's your stream of music. You can find music in so many different places now. So that, that, that ability for one song to attach itself to so many different parts of your life, it's just, it's still there. It's just more limited. And I think that that's what kind of has to break out a little bit now is that Rock and roll, I think, in a lot of ways, is seen as party music or like a deeper, kind of darker way. It needs to be accessible to be like, yeah, this just explains a part of my life. It's not just about party. It's not just about depression. It's not just about X or Y. It's just about life. And I think that that's the next step of what gets people into rock and roll as a cultural kind of mainstream part. Absolutely. Music is all about the connection. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. one of the great things that the singer David Lee Roth said once is that music is a living, breathing form of time travel. It has the ability yes. to bring you back to a place when you heard that song. It has a, 
the ability for you to smell and feel what you're going through when you heard that particular song. And he's very, very correct on that. Very true in his words. Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a very big principle too with the band in terms of our songwriting. Um, you know, I'm the primary songwriter of the band, and unless you know what I'm talking about, and unless you know me, it's very hard to pick up on my lyrics about what I'm actually talking about. I mean, you can get a sense don't get me wrong, but like, there are a lot of very specific things, a lot of very kind of inside jokes and whatever. To be honest with you, unless you ask. No one needs to know that because the more important element of the song is that when you listen to it, you can see the reflection of yourself in it. So whatever, whatever it is that I was going through or the band is talking about or whatever, it's actually secondary to what the listener experiences while they listen to it so that they can understand themselves a little more. I think that's the magic of music is that it gives you so little information in the sense of like you can only hear it that it really allows you to put yourself in it and learn about yourself. And that's you know, the beauty of art. So let's dive into the new album. Uh, it's going to be released on November 1st. It's available for pre-order. And yep. by the time this is released, though, it'll probably already be out. So talk about the recording and writing process for Stained Glass. Yeah, yeah totally. So um, you know, the writing process was a little different in the sense of gathering songs because uh, the songs are from throughout our career um, as stations. There are songs that were written from the early days, songs written in the last six months, and then you know, kind of everywhere in between. And uh, the reason that we did it this way was because we invested in building our own recording studio. And the reason we did that was because we have a lot of music, a lot of music written, and it is incredibly frustrating to have to wait two years to record 12 songs. We write 12 songs a week. So like, it's one of those things where it's like, you might have a good song, but then when you get to the time you're in the studio and about to record it, if it doesn't really fit in with the 12 other good songs you have, you got to make a choice. And that was just something we don't want to do anymore. So we built our own studio and we are already working on another album just to show you how fast we're looking at doing this. But our thinking with this offering was that we said, you know, I want to pull from the songs that we've had that we feel so strongly about that we're quote unquote waiting for a good time, looking to do. And we just decided to go with what we thought was the best set of songs for right now. So um, that's kind of how we chose the songs for this album. And it was a really interesting process because, you know, some of the songs were new, most of them are, but there were some songs that were reimagined from way before that, you know, we never recorded, but we had for a while. And it was very interesting to see how us a couple of years ago were interacting with us today, interpreting the songs. So that was a fun process. It's interesting to see how you guys evolve too, right? So when you have songs written from you know previous times right and then you're writing mm-hmm. songs currently it's it's it it's really cool for you guys to see your own growth and how you adapt with each other how you write with each other and that's got to be a lot of uh, even more fun in the process it's it's definitely an experience because you know there's a song on this record called i need you red and um i wrote that song seven years ago maybe a while ago and um, we played it a couple times live. Uh, Pat and I played it acoustic a bunch. And um, when we recorded it, it is it bears no resemblance other than just the melody and the chords itself, the original way we performed it. So it was incredibly exciting to kind of see, okay, the structure and the melodic sense and, and what we wanted to say, the message was there. 
but now having, you know, gone through life a little more, experienced a little more, maybe some different influences have popped up over that time. We're taking a song and reimagining the actual sonic properties of it to create something new. And that was really cool because I don't think that seven years ago, Chris Lane would have done what I did to it last, you know, summer had I recorded it seven years ago. So it was great. And how was the selection process? I mean, you, you've mentioned that you guys write a lot of material. So what was yep. it like, you know, going through some of those old songs in your catalog that's never been released and choosing the ones that end up on the album? You know, that is another reason why I feel so blessed with Station. There's never a conversation about it that's really more than, yeah, I agree. We are very, very, very in lockstep about what we like. We might disagree on what we want to do with it, which is kind of where the uh, struggle comes in, and then that creates something new, which is actually, you know, the benefit of working with other humans. But um, we're pretty fortunate that we, we all kind of are on the same page about what's a good song and what's not. So, you know, we differ on certain things, but ultimately there's never a sense of regret that we didn't do one song or did do one song because we, we always kind of talk it out to a point where we're all happy. So that's a very easy process compared to a lot of other bands that, you know, I've ran into fist fights over. For us, it's a little bit more of a conversation, and then we always end up on the other side pretty much being like, this is a good idea, this is a good, this is a good decision. I do. We all feel good about it. Now, when you go in and you bring in, you being the primary songwriter, when you come in with ideas, you know, how does the right. process, how does it incorporate other members of the band? Are they, do they have ideas as well? Do they, do they have lyrics in their head or maybe lyrics they've written down or just a melody they've written or how does that work? Well, um, for songs that I write by myself, you know, I come in with the song fully finished and, um, from there, we all kind of talk about the performance of it. And that's where the room is for everyone to express themselves. You know, otherwise it would just be like a Chris Lane solo song, you know, solo project song. So like, I have no interest in that. Um, the value of me playing in the band is not so much to have an outlet. The value of me playing in the band is to play with the other members. So, you know, for me, when I kind of bring in a song and I say, Hey, you know, this is this thing I've got. Usually I like to present it as an acoustic version of it just so everyone can kind of feel comfortable enough to not be influenced by what I hear. Then we all talk about it. And, uh, again, I'm very lucky because we're pretty much in lockstep with stuff. So we have a very easy time creating with each other. There's really never been a case where someone has gotten so far off the path from where everybody else is that we've had to address it. Um, you know, probably the worst, the worst example, the worst, not the worst example, but the worst case of all that was, um, on this record, actually, we have a song called I See You Everywhere. And we've had this song forever. And Pat loves the song. And I, I really like the song too. But what held us back from recording it was simply that we just, I couldn't see what we were doing to it to make it great in a recording style. And it took, I don't know, four hours of Pat and I just sitting there with guitars fixing it. And now it's great. You know what I mean? So like, it's a very easy process. This is not something that takes weeks and months and fighting and, and, you know, arguments. This is something that's like, we got to sit down and do the song doctor thing. Cool. Let's address it. And then it's done. So um, I'm lucky to work with people like that. That's awesome. It really helps the process mm-hmm. too, you know? Um, it's, yeah, everyone's very friendly. So that <laughs> definitely helps a lot. No, absolutely. So the video for a matter of time is really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
how was the creative process with that? And, and I, I, I've watched it a, f- a few times and I've just been like, this is so like different, you know? I mean, it's, it's not like the standard video that comes out now. It's got a little bit of a, a story to it. It's very interesting. So talk about the process with that. Well, something I really enjoy doing is I really enjoy working on the music videos. Um, I especially personally love film. So one of the things that the band is very, very, very um, fond of is humor. We, we love kind of, you know, this is humor in general, you know, from, from old movies, television shows, all those kinds of stuff. So because we always feel that everything we put out into the world is a reflection of us, you know, you're going to get a sense of who we are by watching it. Now, it's not to say that you think we're a werewolf, but you definitely get the sense that we have some kind of whimsical humor about us. What we don't like is we don't like trying to portray ourselves as things that we're not. So you're not going to see a video of us, you know, on stage partying and, and doing things that we wouldn't normally do in real life. And it's just, it's just no interest in acting out some kind of weird romanticized fantasy. So because of that, we like to take a more, we like to take a more creative approach to just come up with things that we think are fun and enjoyable and things that we want to see out there. So the werewolf thing was an idea that I had had for a while ago, just because I think it's cute. And we said, you know what, this actually works really well with our kind of brand and how we want to do things. So I'd like people to see it. So we created it. I was basically just mesmerized by it because I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? And where is this going to go? And I have to tell you, like the way it flowed, the way the story flowed throughout the whole video, I did not expect it to go in that direction. Like I was like, you know, I was watching, I'm like, this is so cool because it, 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 you hear the music and you're, I'm enjoying the music, but it's also, I'm also listening with my eyes too as well. And I, I really thought it was very well done. It captured uh, an element to the band that not a lot of new bands really kind of put out right now. And I thought that was uh, kudos to you guys. Thanks. Thanks. We've also, we've also come up with a, a good network of people that we can rely on to do a good job with things. So we're very lucky to work with other people like, like Matt, who, you know, co-directed the, the video, Matt Sullivan. That's good at what he does. So having a resource like Matt is tremendous because it helps us realize what we want to see. That's important. Very important. You guys are about to go out on tour, do a, a, a small run of, of, of dates here. So, um, you know, we visit the same cities year after year. Um, we do so to grow the amount of people we play to each time, obviously. And, you know, it also makes it a lot easier to kind of centralize where you're going. So you know how to, how to basically prepare for it because you get used to certain venues, you grow, you get the larger venues, all that kind of stuff. Um, so this tour I think is 14 dates. If I don't, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 15. And, um, you know, we're headlining each one of them except for one where we're supporting kicks in, uh, Virginia. And, um, you know, basically we're going to some new venues we've never been to before. So we're really excited about that. Some other venues that we've played before, which, you know, we love and that's why we try to go back because finding venues that you love to play in, you never, as a musician, you never want to leave. You know, it's one of those things. Um, so yeah, you know, and we try to do it when we want to go out on tour, one of the, uh, one of the great things about being able to record so much music now is that I'm not sure if it's going to, a tour is going to always follow them anymore. So 
that's a great thing for us because we don't need to go out and say, well, we need to play more songs off the new record. No, we're just going to play a song. We're going to play a show that, and if that's heavily weighted in the new record or 50, 50, um, against something else or, uh, two songs, who cares? You know what I mean? Like you, you're kind of unshackled from having to only be promoting something and you can just be an artist again and say, this is what I'm doing. Take a listen. After this run of dates, what's the future for playing live for station? Um, well, I believe that we're going to be out on the road at the end of January again, and then you could probably expect some, some shows separate in the year, but then we'll probably go out again at the beginning of next summer. Okay. So relatively actually a lot of touring in a short time, but also a lot of music, and it's just going to be a lot of, lot of stuff coming out. So I'm excited about it because it's exciting to see new things going to come to life. Yeah, I'm debating whether to go to that uh, Pekin, Illinois show on November 9th. It's about a three-hour drive from Chicago. So I'm like, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. I might, I might do that. So um, That's in Pekin? Pekin, yes. So that venue, that is one of the venues that we hold so close to our heart. We love the Twisted Spoke. And we've been there, I don't even know, four times, five times? I don't know. We love it there. So definitely come down if you're around because um, that is a great place to see music. And also, I believe they were just listed as one of the best venues in the country for like a certain size. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah. No, I... um. I, I gotta, you know, make sure I can make it down there. Um, but no, I'm I'm very interested in going to that show because I'm like, oh, they're not coming around Chicago, but they're in Pekin, and you know, I've driven farther for shows in the past, so it's not like I've <laughs> never done it before. Um, sure, well, I appreciate that. So, as far as the new albums, you know, Stained Glass and the upcoming tour dates and the future of touring, will the next release come out while you are touring, or is it going to be a break? What's the plan for that? Well, we're, in, we're still in the process of recording it. We're actually probably about 50% done. Okay. And um, I would say that we're probably going to finish it by early January, maybe. Definitely before we go out on the road again. And um, we'll probably end up releasing that sometime in spring. So it'll maybe late spring. So it'll kind of start the process, you know, kind of retro style, where there wasn't three years between albums. Instead, it could be nine months, ten months. Albums. No more music by you guys is always a good thing. I mean, listening to your back catalog, you know, the self-titled album, the, the, the previous album released, I'm really excited about Stained Glass. I'm excited about future material. Knowing that you guys write so much and have so much in your you know catalog ready to go is is very exciting. What, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. If you could kind of talk about what has been, as far as Station goes, as far as the band goes, what has been like the biggest surprise or best experience that you guys have had as a band? Um, that's a tough question. You know, we, we, we cherish our time in the band because it's, it's very much, it encapsulates what we love and it's very, very hard to find something in life that just, you feel so complete. You know I mean? Once you get outside the world of friends and family, you know, how many people say, oh, my job completes me? It's not really accurate. So for us, there are a lot of instances where we've kind of looked at each other and been like, we're actually like playing music together and we feel proud of it. I would say one of the, one of the, the best times um, that we've ever kind of felt that was the first time we ever played a major festival 
we played at the Rocklahoma Festival. And, um, you know, it was, the, it was actually our first time going to a rock festival as an artist. Guns N' Roses was headlining, uh, Alice in Chains was there, bands that we love, so we were happy to be there as fans. But then, when we got on stage, and you know, this is in the middle of Oklahoma, uh, we had never traveled that far with the band, and we literally, this is actually even before we owned a bus, and we got on stage, and there were tons of people there, not necessarily to see us, but to see rock music that was on our stage, and it was amazing. It was just like, okay, this is actually why we want to play music. It's to celebrate kind of life, to celebrate what we do, to engage in the energy of the audience and, and just have it be this, you know, hour, 45 minutes or whatever of just exchange on stage. And that's what we live for with that. So that was definitely, that was very early on for us. And that was definitely one of those things where it's like, you know, like Pat and I kind of looked at each other while we're on stage and we're just like in the middle of it. And we're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe that we're actually able to do something like this. This is great. How does that feel when you are on stage playing and you see music fans connect with your music in a live performance? What is that like for you guys? It's, it's kind of like a conversation because one of the things that, you know, don't forget on stage, sometimes it's very hard to see the audience. So not, you can't necessarily look into someone's eyes. I mean, certain venues, low lighting, that's fine. Or if someone's really up close to the stage, but a lot of times you can't see the audience. And one of the things that I've always kind of loved about being on stage is that it's a living, breathing experience. You know, if, if one of the players on stage with you does something different, it changes where you go. So, it's kind of a journey that you're all taking together, but you're, you're one unit. You're, you're in the car together. And it, it's kind of an incredible experience because as much as you're doing your thing, you're relying on the other guy and that's what's creating the atmosphere. It's like you're feeding off each other. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you play off of it. And, and you know, what, what happens though is that especially when you're so rehearsed and, you know, you played it for so long like we have, you get to this place where the other player actually not only elevates, but changes your mindset. Like I'll give you a perfect example. We did this show. I think, I think it was in New York, but um, we played the show and our drummer, Tony, something happened. He, he, his stick broke or there was some equipment failure or something happened. And he had to like change up what he was doing to adjust for it. And when he did that, it was just, it felt different. So it changed what I was playing a little bit. And now we play it like that because we were like, wow, what a cool thing. And, you know, obviously a very happy accident, but it was like, oh, wow, what an interesting direction to take it. I didn't think about that. And I wouldn't have had, you know, Tony, the drummer, done something different. So all of a sudden now it's expanded the way I look at everything. And that's the, that's what I said earlier about the reflection in the songs is that, Every time we play those songs, it's a reflection of what I'm going through at that time. So, like, if I'm having a bad day, it's a different guitar solo than if I'm having the happiest day, you know? Mm -hmm. That has to be a, you know, I, I always talk about the evolution of the artist, right? And I always talk about how I, I'm always a fan of a banner artist that's always evolving, always doing something different. And then when you're, when you mention that's, that moment with your drummer, right? It's almost like the el evolution is happening in real time. And, you know, oh, yeah. you know, sometimes you look back and then you could see the evolution when you take a look back and you go down, you know, uh, you know, 
memory lane or you see yourselves from, you know, the time you started till now. And then they're like, wow, this is how we've evolved. But it has to be really cool that like when you, when you mention that moment, you, you actually feel the evolution. It's almost like you're in it, right? You're like right in it. And that's, that's got to be a, a, a incredible moment. It's, it's, it's a very kind of strange realization when you, when you feel something going on an unscripted path, especially based on something you know so well. You know, like, I, I know the song backwards and forwards. If something new happens, it takes me to a place that I'm just not ready for. And it pushes me out of a comfort zone that allows me to truly understand something new. So, so all of a sudden now, if you say to yourself, well, you know, look, I've got this rock song. It sounds like whatever. I feel like doing it reggae style. I mean, if you want to do that, you can do that. And you got to trust the people you're with to kind of guide the process along with you. So, you know, it's, it's fun. And that's one of the reasons we never, ever use tracks or anything like that. Nothing pre-recorded because it's doing that would limit our ability to have the fun we have on stage. It also helps too, that you guys are all on the same page page. Like you mentioned before, you know, that has to help in terms of doing things and seeing things differently from time to time and, and exploring you mentioned the journey, right? You're, you guys are all on this journey together. You guys are all pretty much on the same page. And that has to help all those, you know, improvising moments in, in, in when you're on stage. The thing, that, the thing that kind of glues us together in that sense is we are on the same page. And we have, you know, we all like a lot of the same bands. But we also have very, very different musical tastes but we respect the things that we bring to the band as being correct for the band. One of the things that, that really helps us and I've worked with other artists who I can honestly say they do not share this is that there's one guy's vision in a lot of other bands. There's, there's a, okay, like this, these are the parameters that this band exists in. Right. So all of a sudden you get to this point where you're kind of like, well, does this band play funky bass lines like that? I don't know. Does this band play a samba beat? I don't know. In station, if Tony drummer decides to say samba works here, we got to let him play it. We got to let him feel it out. And then we can all talk about it. But for any one person to say that does not keep within the vision, that is not what station's about. And that's what kind of gives us the ability to trust each other um, in our various instruments, because kind of like, you know, if Pat's going to do this thing, Pat's got it, you know, same thing with Emmy. And Emmy's an insane musician as himself, so, like, he brings a whole other element to the band where he just brings this completely different style of thinking that influences the rest of us. So it, it's a great collaboration. And again, it, it matters because being on the same page helps that. You know, one of the things that yes. in interviews I've read in the past with Robert Plant, you know, when, when John Bonham died, the thought of replacing him with someone else was not even a thought because of the way they improvised on stage because every song they did on different nights was always different. And that was because how they knew each other, how they trusted each other. They knew what each person was going to do. And then to bring in someone Mm -hmm. different at that moment, it just wouldn't have been Led Zeppelin. They wouldn't have been able to perform like they, they performed for, you know, 10 plus years. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely understand that mentality. You know, Pat's been one of my closest friends for like a decade now, basically. And I know a lot about him. Uh, you know, I know a lot about what he's gone through. I know a lot about his experiences, especially as I've been there with him by his side. 
So when we approach a song, like I mentioned, I see you everywhere earlier, you know, it's a song with the lyrics, especially are very meaningful to Pat. So when we were recording it, it wasn't about, Hey, sing this more aggressively. Hey, sing this, you know, tamer. Hey, add more rasp. We can actually have a conversation about the emotion we're trying to get through and not just like the sonic property, which I mean, don't get me wrong. You need to have that conversation too, because you are making something people can hear but you're trying to make something that's important to you and something that's reflective of what you want to say. So having a black and white conversation of like raspier or not raspier, it's, it's not, it's not the whole picture. And, and you want to be able to have a conversation about the emotional level with the people you're creating with. You say all, you know, things that are true talking with musicians prior to this and being a part of the scene here in Chicago in the you know late eighties and nineties all your stuff that you tell me is what a band should be. And it's refreshing to hear. And I wish you guys all the best of luck with what you guys are doing Thank now and, and in the future. Thank you. I appreciate that. Real quick, one more question. Um, sure. as, a, as, a, as a newer band like Station, tell me a new band that you guys are listening to. Are there new bands that we're listening to? Yeah. I really love a band out of Australia called Ragdoll. Um, Leon is a, is a favorite guitarist of mine uh, and also shares the same love of a lot of those uh, 70s rock bands. So I would definitely check out Ragdoll in Australia. They're great. Perfect. So anybody listening, I always try to promote new music and I always try to get people to listen to new stuff because I think it's so vital to the genre and I think it's so vital to mm-hmm. the future of rock and roll. You know, we do make mention that you know, has rock and roll died? Is rock dead? Well, no, it's not dead. There's always going to be rock music, always. There's always going to be people playing it. But we want people to have the ability, new bands to come up and be successful and have the same opportunities the bands had prior to them. So I appreciate you yeah, coming absolutely. on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, and I thank you for doing this. Thank you very much, Chris. Of course, man. I hope to see you in, uh, in Pekin. I hope to make it there. Cool, dude. Once again, everybody, this is Jay Scott, and you're listening to The Hook, the ultimate rock community podcast. Everyone have a good day, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 